Thanks so much for tuning into 7IM Church's podcast. We are so glad you are here. To connect with us, you can head over to 7imchurch.com slash connect, and we'd love to hear from you. We also post regularly on Facebook at 7IM Church, and we live stream all of our services Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. We believe that God is moving in our midst, and we are so humbled and excited to be a part. Thank you for listening to today's message. All right, all right. How's everyone doing? I'm excited. Y'all excited? I mean, I'm just saying, well, first off, it's Father's Day. I already said it. But hey, if you're a dad in the room, I love you. I'm thankful for you. Um, I have this thing called a son, which is amazing. And he's wonderful. But guess what? Now I feel like I can relate to all the dads in the room because I get a little bit, uh, I understand you a little bit more, you know, like those poopy diapers that just blow out the side. <sighs> like you don't know until you've been there, okay? Or like the time when you have the, the boys over for dinner and you burn the burgers and they just sit there and make fun of you. Like, I just feel like now that I'm a dad, I like have these moments of relatability, which is awesome. But I do know this. It's one of the greatest blessings that I've ever experienced. And I want to encourage you this morning. I know that I have a lot of people that I'm friends with that either they had a father in their life that was absent they had a father in their life that was abusive, or they didn't have any father in their life at all. And I want you to know this morning, if you fall on any one of those stories, or maybe you even have an amazing dad, I want you to know that our heavenly father is not a reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of him. So no matter how good he was, or no matter how bad he was, or no matter how absent he was, you have a father in heaven who loves you so much. He calls you son, he calls you daughter. And this morning I hope and pray that if you walked into this place and you don't yet have a relationship with him, that before you leave this place today, you would begin a relationship with him because I'm telling you, it is the best decision you could ever make. His arms are open, the door is wide open. The question is, are you going to walk through? This morning I wanna preach a message on legacy. And when we think about legacy, I want to ask, what kind of legacy do you want to leave on this earth? You know, I've actually preached more funerals than I'd probably like to. It's one of those things as a pastor that's kind of a, it's a, a tough thing to do. But one of the things that I've realized in my time of ministry is that it's a whole lot easier to sit with a family and talk about a funeral service if the individual left a good legacy. If there's positive things that were said about the individual. And one of the things that I'm reminded of at every funeral that I do is that the only thing guaranteed in life is death. Welcome to church, everyone. But that, let's be honest. Like, we can chase things all throughout our life, but that promotion, it's not guaranteed. Getting married isn't guaranteed. Having kids isn't guaranteed. Getting the dream job you ever hoped for. Getting my blacked out G-Wagon. It's not a guarantee. The only thing guaranteed in life is death. And so the question is, are we going to think about our legacy enough that it actually matters? This word legacy is a fascinating word because it doesn't only speak to the future, but it actually speaks to something beyond us. 
There's an American philosopher, William James, and he said this about legacy. He said, the great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. The great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. Legacy is about what we are going to leave behind. What do I do in my life that will outlast my life? Mark Stewart, who's a, a part of our church, he writes a blog and does different stuff. And I found one of his where he wrote about legacy. And he said this about legacy. It's when you stand on principle and live for something greater than yourself that legacies are built. I've heard another pastor describe legacy this way. Your legacy is what people remember when you're gone. What people remember when you're gone. I saw this quote online this week, and it was kind of shocking, convicting, and humbling all at the same time. And it said this, it said, don't forget, the only people in your life that will remember that you worked overtime 20 years from now is your wife and your kids. And, and I sat on that, and I thought about that because there was a time in my life where I worked so hard because I thought I had to achieve something or I thought I wanted a promotion or I wanted to look good to my employer. But at the end of the day, the only people in our lives that's going to remember that we spend all that extra time in the office, all that extra time in the field are our family, the ones that actually miss out on spending that time with us. And so I want to ask you this morning, what about your life will outlive you long after you're gone? This isn't supposed to be a morbid message. It's actually supposed to be rather encouraging because if there's still breath in your lungs and if you're still here today or you're watching us online today, you have an opportunity to shift your legacy if you would answer right now that there's probably nothing in your life that would outlive you after you're gone. You have an opportunity to change that. I want to look at Psalm 112 this morning. We're going to flip through different portions of the Bible today, but I want to read all of Psalms 112, starting in verse 1. The Bible says this, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. This is the verse I want to focus on today. Verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on all his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Psalm 112, verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Like it might sound kind of prideful to admit, but if we're really honest this morning, all of us would love to say 
that we would love to be remembered forever. We, we would love to have our life have a legacy and an impact that survives generation after generation after generation. One of the things that I find so interesting about legacy is there's not actually that many areas where we talk about it a lot in culture. Um, there's actually a few areas where it's talked about more often than not one of those being sports. Are there any sports fans in the house? But here's one of the things that I've learned about legacy growing up when it comes to sports. Is, uh, is anyone over the age of 50 in here? Just, just admit it, all right? Somebody shout out a great athlete of your generation. Who? John Elway. John El Who's that? <laughs> just kidding. He played for the Denver Donkeys, okay? I know. Who else? Who else? Who? Johnny Bench? <laughs> oh, that's that sport that I don't like. They call baseball. <laughs> Who else? All right. Who else? All right, so here's what I'm trying to tell you. All right, where's my young homies? We got any under 30 up in here? All right, who are some of our star athletes of the day, all right? We got Steph Curry. It, Derek Jeter's probably a little older, I guess. We got O.J. Oh, hmm. Tom Brady? Oh, that's right, he beat the Chiefs, so we can't talk about him. But one of the things that's interesting about sports and legacies is we can remember the name for only so long. And like even some of the names that we think are great in our generation, three generations from now, they're going to be like, who the heck is that? I, I don't remember that guy. And I will say I'm kind of disappointed nobody said Jack Nicholas or any of the golfers of the great because that's my sport. So had you said that, I might have just given you the Blackstone Grill, but since you didn't. But one of the things that's interesting about legacy in our life is we can even look at athletes and we can think, well, if we just achieve enough, if we just become enough of a household name, then we'll be remembered forever. But the reality is, is that's not the case. The Bible says the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. And for some of us, it's hard to understand that that actually means us. Because we read that and we go, well, I'm not that righteous, pastor. <laughs> you should know the things I do. You should know the, the way I talk. Well, can I tell you what it means to be righteous? It means to be submitted, surrendered to Jesus. And the Bible says when we make that decision of salvation and we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised on the third day and we repent, we submit, and we surrender to him, we have been made righteous. And so I would challenge and I would propose anyone that would tell me that a legacy can live on in life after generations, after decades, after centuries, on life, unless that life first has been submitted to Jesus Christ. Because everything else will eventually fade away. Every other accolade, every other accomplishment, I've watched sports over the years. I'm fascinated with sports. And one of the things that I'm watching is records are continuing to be broken. Records that were centuries old. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's all the like hyped up steroids that they're pumping into our food these days. But people seem to be bigger, stronger, faster than they've ever been before. And so the greats of the day that thought they were setting records in the history book have already been long forgotten. It is only a life surrendered to Jesus that will leave a legacy that does not perish. You see, there's a man in the Bible named King Solomon. King Solomon was a very wise man. He, he had a, a very interesting life and he came to this point. I don't know if you've ever read through Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, but it's not really the most cheering, exciting book to read through. But I love the brutal honesty in the text because I want to show you in Ecclesiastes chapter two, there's a few verses that I'm going to point out and look at this morning. But I want to tell you first that at some point, maybe you've been there yet. Maybe you haven't, or maybe today is going to be the day where you go home and you look in the mirror and you really begin to wonder, does my life have a legacy? Because there was a point in my life when I realized that my life I was living was for nothing more than myself. And if I died in that moment, people would continue to live life as if I had never existed continue to move on. I was living in, I was out of college at the time. I had just walked through a divorce and I started to run to the world for everything that the world could offer me to find satisfaction, to find happiness. And so I spent a lot of time and a lot of money on drugs, alcohol, and girls. And I kind of had this group that I formed and we were buddies. We'd hang out. We were ride or dies, all that kind of stuff. Well, then one day, one of our friends committed suicide. And it was kind of this wake-up call for our group. And I thought, maybe this is when things are going to change. Maybe we'll start to worry about the things that matter most. And can I tell you what we did the very next day? We went out, we partied, we got drunk, and we acted as if nothing changed. And I thought in that moment, I found myself that night falling on my knees in the bathroom, crying out to God. If I died, would the people around me just get drunk and party and move on like nothing ever happened? Or does my life actually have a purpose? King Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. How to lay hold on fully till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the last few days of their life. He claims, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted them all different kinds of fruit, fruit trees. Skip down to verse 8. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. Look at verse 9. So I became great. And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For where my heart was, the pleasure was in toil. And there was no reward for all the toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done. And all that I toiled and expanded in doing. And behold, 
All was vanity, a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Nothing to be gained under the sun. I read that and I immediately think of the American dream. Riches, wealth, prosperity, a nice house with a white picket fence, a wraparound porch, two golden retrievers, the perfect life. And yet King Solomon even understood that even after everything that he achieved in so-called man's success, that it was all just a passing in the wind. Nothing mattered under the sun. Look at the last verse in this chapter, verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. So how do we leave a legacy that doesn't just outlast us, but impacts generation after generation after generation? I'm actually so glad because I believe Jesus gave us three main principles for legacy. There's two places in the New Testament where Jesus speaks to these principles of legacy. One of them is known as the Great Commandments. The other is known as the Great Commission. And so I just briefly want to talk to you about what I believe Jesus calls the three principles for legacy. In Matthew 22, verse 36 through 39, Jesus is asked the question, Teacher, which, of the great, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And to that question, Jesus responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Matthew 28, we see a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Jesus comes to them and says, Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, one thing I've noticed about legacy is for some of us, we think just having good intentions will leave a good legacy. But I want to remind you this morning that Jesus calls us to action when he references legacy. Legacy requires action, not intention. Good intention alone will never leave a good legacy. I, I want to ask you right now, are there things in your life that if you took your last breath today, you could honestly say, oh, I wish I had done that. I wish I had done that. I wish I had forgiven that person. I wish I would have opened my doors to that stranger. I wish I would have given more away. I wish I would have loved better. I wish I would have spent more time with my wife. I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I saw a statistic that's interesting. 
I didn't even plan on saying this. But in the average American household, the amount of time that a family spends in engaging conversation is 21 minutes a week. There's seven days in a week, three minutes a day. Having just good intentions will not impact your legacy. It requires action. The first principle of legacy that Jesus calls us to do is, number one, we have to love God. Yes, loving God begins in a moment, but it is a daily commitment. I've spent a lot of time in a lot of denominations and this is not a knock on anybody. I know a lot of great Southern Baptists. I know a lot of great Baptist churches. I know a lot of great Baptist preachers. But I, I spend enough time around Baptist churches to know that they have this kind of repertoire of once saved, always saved, and go live your life how you want. Their, their goal is salvation. And I want to tell the church this morning that salvation is not the finish line. It's the starting line. In order to live a life that is truly loving God, it requires a daily commitment. Think about this. The greatest illustration that we've been given in the Gospels between the relationship of Christ and his church is a marriage. What happens in marriage? Well, there's this thing called a wedding day. Think of that as the salvation moment in the relationship between Jesus and you. The wedding happens but in order for that marriage to be successful, a daily commitment must follow that moment. And what's interesting is we've preached a gospel for far too long that believes salvation is the finish line. And yet when that's the image that we're showing the world of the relationship between Christ and the church, it is the image that we are showing the world of a marriage relationship. And I'm just saying right now, y'all, the divorce rates are higher than they've ever been before. Because we focus more on the wedding day than we do on the commitment of a true marriage. We have to understand that loving God is a daily commitment. It means doing life with God. This might sound super basic. This might sound elementary for some of you in the room, but I'm shepherding our church. Here's just a few things of what loving God looks like. Number one, we have to spend time in his word. I, I, I just don't understand when people tell me they don't have to read the Bible to have a relationship with God. How do you know God if you don't know his word? It, it makes no sense to me. We've got to spend time in his word. And I'm just saying, y'all, an hour on a Sunday morning is not enough. If you're married in the room, try it out. Look at your spouse and tell them you're only going to commit an hour to them a week and see if that marriage thrives. We've got to spend time in his word. That's where listening happens. That's where growing happens. We've got to spend more time in prayer. One of my mentors and pastors said this just a few weeks ago, and y'all, it has resonated in my spirit so much. 
I don't know what to do with it, but I want to share it with you today. He said, Michael, there's a difference between having a prayer list and having a prayer life. There's a difference between having a prayer list and having a prayer life. He said, there's a lot of people in a lot of churches that have a prayer list. There's very few that have a prayer life. We have to spend more time in prayer. We've got to spend time in worship. Corporate worship, this gathering is so important for many reasons. And I I also, I don't understand when somebody tells me, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And, And I kind of sit there and I think about it and I'm like, okay. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to argue with you, but here's what I can say. You might not have to go to church to be a Christian, but you'll be better off if you do go to church. I mean, it's the same way if I said, well, I don't have to have a shepherd to be a sheep. Well, if I was a sheep, I'd be a whole lot better off if I had a shepherd. Why? Because sheep are stupid. Like, y'all seen that video before? I should have brought the clip. Y'all seen that video before where this guy goes out and there's the ditch and, and he, he loves the sheep and he rescues the sheep and he takes them on the land and he turns around and guess what? The sheep runs around and jumps right back in the ditch. Like, y'all, that's, that's what we are. Let's be honest. We're stupid. You don't have to have a shepherd to be a sheep, but I'll tell you, you will be much better off if you do. There's a reason that God calls us to community. There's a reason that God calls us to fellowship. You were not created to do life alone. We were made in the image of God. And I, can I tell you something about the image of God? It's an image of three in one. So the Godhead itself is a very picture of community. It's a very picture of unity. And so we too are supposed to reflect that same image. So if you think you can do life on your own, then you've created an image of God that does not exist. Church is vital. It is important. And so the last thing we have to do is spend time in church. Psalm 112, I started it. Verse one says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly desires in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. If you're a dad in the room this morning, I know you would look me in the eyes and you would say, one of the things that I want for my children is for them to have a blessed life. Well, thankfully, the Bible gives us the answer to how we can steward that and lead our children to have that life. It actually first begins with us. It first begins with our pursuit of the Lord. It first begins with our relationship with God and our pursuit will change the generations that come after us. The first legacy principle is to love God. The second legacy principle that Jesus gives us is to love people. This is easier said than done. I'm just going to be honest. Because people are weird. People are freaks. People are crazy. But we are called to love people. I've heard it said before, what we do for ourselves usually dies with us. But what we do for others will live beyond us. Jesus teaches this parable in Mark chapter 9 when the disciples and him, they're on their way to Capernaum. And the disciples begin having this argument about who is the greatest among them. 
Which one of them is going to have the greatest legacy to leave behind? It's kind of like, you know, when you ever go to, uh, I don't know, sometimes it happens in church settings and you're sitting there talking and you say something about your kid and what they've accomplished and then somebody else speaks up and they're the Johnny one-upper. You know what I'm saying? Like I was called that name quite a few times yesterday. I played in a golf tournament with Brian Marshall and he'd hit the ball and it'd be about 20 yards from the pin and I'd get up and I'd hit mine and it was only three yards from the hole. So sorry, Brian, I didn't mean to Johnny one up you, but uh, (laughs) that tends to happen too often in life. We have these arguments about who's better or or whose legacy is going to be greatest. And even the disciples, the men who lived closest to Jesus were having this argument. And I love what the Bible says in Mark 9. I love Jesus, y'all. He's hilarious. Like, if you'd read the Bible, you would realize just how funny God is. Like, there's certain things that just jump out to you. And in verse 33, it says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked the disciples, What were you discussing along the way? It's like Jesus knew what they were talking about, but he just wanted to, like, create a little awkward silence. He's like, So, boys. What were you discussing when we were over? What were y'all talking about? Were y'all talking about the weather? Because that's all Kansas asks is, hey, how's the weather? Or this, hey, good to see you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Next question. How much rain did you get last night? (laughs) And then the Bible says, but they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about the greatest. It's like they knew they were arguing about something that was so stupid. It's like they knew what they were arguing about was insignificant. It's like, oh, crap. He called us out. It's like if you ever have the kids and your kids are having a conversation, maybe with their friends, and you walk in and you're like, hey, y'all, what y'all talking about? And it's a group of boys, and maybe they're talking about girls, and it's like, hmm. And their faces get a little red. Like I just picture the disciples like blushing a little bit because they didn't want to admit it. And then Jesus makes this statement. If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. If you notice, they never even told him what they were discussing. And sometimes we don't have to tell God for him to already know. But he said, hey, hey, hey. You guys were discussing which one among you is the greatest, and I'm here to tell you that the way that the world would describe greatness is actually the very opposite of how I view greatness. The first shall be last. If you want to be great, then put yourself at the end of the line. If you want to leave a legacy, then why don't you serve somebody else? We've got to understand that it's part of our mission to love people. How do we love people as the church? If we are a follower of Jesus, we love people three ways. Through sacrifice, through serving, and through generosity. Through sacrifice, through serving, and through generosity. When we understand and we begin to love people this way, it will leave a legacy that lasts. This is how Jesus loved people. If you're in this room this morning and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know. That the Bible says that while you were still yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He sacrificed his life for you. 
He saw you in the middle of your trial. He saw you caught up in that addiction. And he said, son, daughter, I love you so much. Before you ever receive me, I'm going to give my life for you. And church, that's how we ought to love people. Yet the first thing that we want is we want to see what strings are attached or what the benefit is before we decide to sacrifice for somebody else. Are you willing to love somebody unconditionally even if they never receive that kind of love back? Even if you never see that love return back? How do you serve people? One of the things that's amazing about serving is you can do it without ever being noticed. Some of my favorite people are the people that show up they do their job and they go home and they don't ask for anything in return. And then when you call them out on it, they, they kind of deny it. It's like, no, 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 that wasn't me. I didn't do that. But that's what Jesus would have done. And living with a heart of generosity. You can't write a check when you're dead. So is there a family that God's calling you to bless? Is there a mission that God's calling you to partake in? You can hold on to wealth and you can accumulate accolades. And I'm not saying live stupid. We've been called to be stewards. We've been called to be wise stewards. But I know far too many people that die with a bunch of money in the bank account. And they could have actually made an impact with that money through generosity. Money is just a resource. It's not the goal. It's just a resource to continue to further the mission of the gospel. How will you choose to love people? I said I've done a lot of funerals. And, and when you do a funeral, normally you get together with the family. And I've done funerals of people that I knew really well. I've done funerals for people that I didn't know from Adam. And, and so I'll go into some of these settings and I, I, I'll even meet with family members that I don't even know. And it's kind of awkward because they look at me like, who's this 16-year-old kid getting ready to do granddad's funeral? I said, shut up, I'm 27. I said, the disciples were younger than I am. So who are you to say I can't preach the gospel? Who are you to say I can't share the That's a side note. I, I'm going to counseling for that. No, just kidding. <laughs> but one of the things that's so interesting to me is I'll sit in a room sometimes with a family. And one of the things that breaks my heart the most is when I start to ask them questions about the individual that passed and the room is just silent. So, uh, y'all got any great memories with Dan? Silence. Okay, well, if you could describe Dan in one word, what would it be? Silence. All right, Whew. like it is the most awkward moment. Can I tell you one of my favorite moments in ministry is when I sat with a family. I did not know the family. I did not know the individual that passed, but I sat with them for so long and they talked so much that after I did the funeral service, somebody came up to me and said, man, you knew him so well. And I just smiled and said, yes, ma'am, I did. Because the family and the friends shared so many stories about the person that it actually felt like they were still living today. And so here's what I want to say about legacy when it comes to loving people. A legacy is left when your life is not defined by stuff, 
but it's defined by stories. A legacy is left when it's not defined by stuff, but it's defined by stories. You can buy your kids every single thing that they want, or you could spend time with them and invest finances to go make memories with them that will leave a story that will last forever. The greatest command that Jesus gives us is known as the Great Commission. One of the questions that I get asked the most, probably above any other question, being a pastor is this, Pastor, how do I know what my purpose is in life? How do I know if I'm living in my purpose? And for some, they think, well, they have to like go into full-time ministry or they have to like go uh, give water to the orphans in Africa to find a purpose. And I actually think when it comes to understanding what our purpose is, it's a whole lot simpler than what a lot of people try to make it. Can I tell you what your purpose is? If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, and if you're not yet a follower of him, can I tell you what your purpose is? To repent, submit, and surrender your life to him. Because without him, you will never find your true purpose. Here's our purpose as a follower of Jesus. Love God, love people, reach the lost. Matthew 28, the words of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you to do. Can I be honest, y'all? We were not called or created to just sit in a pew or a chair every Sunday, read our Bible when we can, pray before we eat, do our job, love our family, and die. We were created for more. We were called to go, to go into the dark places of the world, to go into every school in our nation, to go into our workplace, to go into our neighborhood, to go into every meeting and share the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Legacy principle number three is this, we were called to reach the lost. If you have submitted your life to Jesus, you have the greatest news in your heart. Who are you sharing that with? Barna surveys say that 76% of the people that get saved are led to Jesus by a friend or a family member that has been following Jesus for less than a month. Why? Because when we first submit and surrender our life to him, we are the most excited about it. And then we sit in a church pew for 60 years and we grow older, and we get wiser, and we get a little more ornery, and then we just pick apart and complain, and we forgot that our true purpose this entire time was to go and share the gospel. If there's still breath in your lungs, God still has a purpose in your life. It is to reach the lost. So how do we do this? Let's get a little practical. How do we truly be the church and reach the lost? Is it simply just inviting them to church and letting Pastor Michael lead them to Jesus? No, that's not it. It's not the goal. The goal is for you to build a relationship with them. Throw that slide up there. Number one, pray for an open door. If you want to reach the lost, whoo, you better get prayed up. 
Because the minute that you start trying to reach them, y'all, I'm just saying, what did I say? People are crazy. You will see God put you in situations that you never expected. You will see God place you in circumstances that you do not feel prepared for. So you better pray. Pray for an open door. Number two, share your story. The Bible says it's the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I'm just saying, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, today you have a testimony. Because at one point in your life, you were separated from God. You came to the realization that you were in need of a savior named Jesus. You submitted, you repented, and you surrendered your life to him. And so after that moment, the Bible says you are made a new creation. And so therefore, you have life with Jesus. There's a story that we all have, and all of them look different. And here's the amazing thing about the church is yes, we're called to unity, but we're not called to uniformity. So churches are gonna do things different. Christians are gonna do things different. And that doesn't mean we always have to do the same thing or do things the same way. Why? Because we all have a unique perspective. We all have a unique story. And there's things in your life that you've walked through. There's places in your life that God's given you victory that I've never been before. And there's somebody outside these walls. There's somebody in your workplace. There's somebody in your family that needs to hear your story that needs to understand that you know what it's like to be on that side of the mountain but you're now on the other side of the mountain because Jesus redeemed you Jesus rescued you Jesus forgave you and I'm just saying y'all when the church realizes that it's not just the pastor's job to preach but it's our job to go then we will change this world for Jesus we all have a unique story we need to begin to share it and the enemy will use shame and guilt to try and cover you up and try and keep you quiet. But it's time that we speak to shame and guilt and we tell it to bow in the name of Jesus. Number three, you can invite them to church. And number four, this is honestly my favorite, live life with them. If they think you're only in their life, because you're trying to change them, fix them, or correct them, you are not loving them as Jesus would. Do life with them. Jesus ate, he sat, he talked, and he fellowshiped with the sinners. He didn't celebrate their sin, and he did not sin with them, but he ate with them. How are we as the church living life with people who don't know him, ask yourself this question. Are the only people that I spend time with church people? And if the answer to that question is yes, then I am going to boldly challenge you this morning as your pastor, as your friend, go make new friends. Go meet some new people. We need our accountability in the church we need our friends that are going to call us up and call us out and hold us accountable. We need those. But we also need to be doing life with people who do not yet know him because we were called to impact them and to leave a legacy that outlasts us. Taking a risk to share Jesus with the lost will leave a legacy that lasts. So I want to ask you this morning, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? Fox News did a report a few years ago on Pastor Rick Warren. Y'all might know him because he's the author of that book, The Purpose Driven Life. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
I got a few Christians in the room. All right. Well, people were so fascinated because this book began to sell copies, literally hundreds of millions of copies worldwide. Why? Because every human being, every human being has a God-sized hole in their heart that can only be filled by him. And when that hole gets filled, it gives us purpose. So everyone is looking for purpose. So what better way to sell a book than uh, to write a book about purpose? And, and this thing blew up and his church, Saddleback Church, began to grow. And Fox News brings him in for this interview. And kind of the overarching topic of the interview was this. Can one church, can one pastor, and can one book change the world? They were focused on the, this rise of this book and, and pastor rick goes through this conversation and he he answers a lot of the questions and at the end at the end they asked him this question do you truly think that your one book your one church and your one mission can change the world and to that question pastor rick responded I don't know, but I've told them to write these four words on my tombstone when I die. At least he tried. It's not up to you to save people. It's not your job to change them. But we can do everything in our power if we still have breath in our lungs to try and change the world. And it begins by loving God, loving people, and reaching the lost. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Jesus, I come to you right now and I ask if there's anyone in this room that does not yet know you, that Holy Spirit, you would make yourself known to them in these moments. That they would understand on this Father's Day that there is a Father in heaven who loves them so much that he gave his one and only son for them so that they too can have a relationship with you. So God, I pray they would understand that there's nothing they can do to achieve your love. They simply just have to receive it. So if you're in this room this morning, or maybe you're listening online, and you would say that today is the day that you want to cry out to Jesus, you want to repent, submit, and surrender, and you want to step up to that starting line called salvation, so you can begin to live the life that will leave a legacy that outlasts you, and ask you, would you submit your heart to him right now? The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we shall be saved. Saved into a relationship with him. So I want to ask you right now to have that conversation with your heavenly father. There's nothing special about the words. It's all about the heart. That you repent of your sin. You submit your life to him and you surrender every area of your life to Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. He will heal you. He will redeem you. He will restore you. And God, I pray over this church that as we continue to grow closer to you, as we continue to love you more, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to love people the way that you do. And that you would show us opportunities to reach the lost with your gospel, with your good news in a world that is full of fake news and lies and deception that the church would awaken and arise to go be on mission to see all people experience the fullness of life and to make heaven more crowded. 
We pray this in your holy and precious name. All of God's people said, amen. amen.